0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Any Given You podcast. As always, I'm your host, Michael Meegan, and we have another awesome show here for you today as I needed to catch up from last week. Unfortunately, we did not release an episode last week, so I had to roll into this week a little bit, but wanted to make sure that we released this one nice and early for our audience. And uh, today... I want to talk about something here in in regards to college football that I feel like a lot of folks from more of the betting aspect of things, or maybe trying to predict how teams are going to do on a national scale, something that needs to be addressed, something that needs to be considered when you are about to lay it all on a team, you know, to go all the way, right? Um, and so. The reason I do this obviously is you know I talk about all sorts of aspects right any given topic right part of any given you part of the whole deal right and so today we're going to discuss this because this is more for the football nerds the the betting heads you know people that really get into the weeds about this stuff trying to predict how how the season's going to go how maybe a multi-year outlook for a program is going to look and, and perhaps maybe even getting into the, the waters of that whole betting thing, you know, and, and what your what kind of teams do you want to ride here coming into 2023 that the history would show us would have a viable shot at potentially winning it all, making a playoff berth winning a conference championship, all that kind of stuff, all that jazz, right? So as we know, just like everything under the sun, there is no real even distribution of anything, right? And that is no exception to college football. There is no even distribution of recruiting funds. There is no even distribution of resources and alumni base and the investment in each one of the programs, and there certainly is no even distribution Of talent. As we see coming into this year, we have 16 teams in all of college football that are above 50% on Bud Elliott's blue chip ratio, which is a a thing that 24-7 sports Bud Elliott and a uh, host of the uh, Cover 3 podcast, they, they put out some really great stuff over there. It's something that he breaks down every single season, right? And what the blue chip ratio is, is It's basically a composite of your roster, and 50% or better has seemed to be the mark that puts you into what we would call the rare air of having a roster that's talented enough to potentially win a national title, right? 50% or more of your roster are blue chip players, which would be a four-star or higher-rated player, four and five-star, and that blue chip delineation starts at about ninety percent. So, a player that would be rated ninety percent out of you know a hundred, being completely the perfect prospect, right? Ninety um, percent or better is what we're getting at when we delineate somebody as, or we describe somebody as a blue chip player, right? And so the reason that I say and that Bud Elliott says and rest of the college football world has really sort of taken this is I'm going to say you know like it like a law right it's not quite maybe not quite a law yet it's theory it definitely is a, it's a, it's a theory not quite a law yet right it's but it has been something that has been repeatable right so teams that are 50% or better on the blue chip ratio have won the last several consecutive national titles, right? We've got Georgia in 22 and 21, Alabama in 2020, 2019, LSU. We've got Clemson in 2018, Alabama again in 2017, Clemson in 16, Alabama in 15. Going back into 14, it was Ohio State. Florida State in 13, 12 Alabama, and 11 Alabama. Now, something that all of these different teams have in common is they were all above 50% on the blue chip ratio. In fact, the lowest of these teams was the Clemson team in 2016 that did it at 52% over the mark, but most of these teams are well over the mark of blue chip players to win a national title. For example, Alabama in 2020 had 83% of their roster that was blue chip or better. Georgia's 21 squad was 80%. We had 77% from Alabama in 2015, 2014 Ohio State had 68% of their roster as blue chip players or better. You get you catch my drift, right? And so also what this composite is made up is it's not just one recruiting Class, it's more based on the recruiting cycle. So your last three recruiting classes are what would go into making a blue chip ratio composite. All right. And furthermore, last caveat, JUCO and high school players are considered in your blue chip ratio, but not transfers. They have not adjusted the algorithm to reflect transfers at this time. So Now that we're a little bit familiar with the blue chip ratio and what it means or what it has meant historically as far as the top crust of college football, essentially allocating most of the talent in all of college football to these top teams, we're going to discuss these teams that are in this elite club for the blue chip ratio that are above 50% of these players on their rosters. Now, not shockingly and not surprisingly, at number one, at 90% of their roster being blue chip players is Alabama. And if you recall on a couple episodes ago, I did mention that Alabama 100% has the requisite talent to get back on the top of that college football mountain. They can summit that mountain again with this roster. They could. All right, 90% of their ros- roster, four or five-star player or better, that's absolutely crazy when you really consider just how many teams don't even have a four-star player or better, and nine out of 10 players at Alabama are a 90-rated player or better. That's craziness. They've got loaded position groups all over the field. We discussed some of those on last episodes, but their edge position is absolutely loaded, They've got really good trench play up front on the offensive line. They have a talented group of receivers, a secondary that should be very, very stout, a, a group of linebackers that are solid. Um, but again, the you know the off the ball linebackers interior, uh, not maybe not so much. Kind of pales in comparison to the edge players. But who wouldn't, right? The real question mark is that quarterback position, as we discussed in previous episodes. And so it makes me wonder if yes, Alabama has a lot of talented players, but do they have them allocated in the right spots or are they lacking in some very crucial positions, namely, or the most crucial position, right? Namely the quarterback situation. Now I will say that a great offensive line, a great defense and some talented skill players can really mask you know, an inadequacy at quarterback and allow time for a talented quarterback, maybe not even a talented quarterback, let's say even an average quarterback situation to grow into the season and progress better. We'll see if that happens with the Crimson Tide here in 2023, but they are solidly, solidly in the mix from roster talent perspective to be back in that national championship picture. Next, we have Ohio State sitting at 85%, and this is another absolutely loaded roster. You'd have to be living under a rock not to realize that Ohio State is one of the most talented teams in the country. They have talent at all sorts of positions, but very similarly to Alabama, they do not return that quarterback position. And C.J. Stroud is a big exodus for this program. Now, Kyle McCord seems to be the guy who's going to step in and be the signal caller for the Buckeyes. They, they've they got talented players all across that defense Jim Knowles entering his second year here. We saw the Ohio State defense take a, I would say, a step forward. I wouldn't even say a small step forward. I would say a step forward uh, last year what we saw. I will say that when Ohio State ran into ballpark talent, and this is something that I have said about Ohio State over and over and over and over again because they're just simply more talented and deeper then 90% of the teams are going to run into in the Big 10. But when they do run into ballpark talent, it kind of gets exposed. And I think that is the next step for this Ohio State Buckeyes team to really take that step on the national scale. They compete very well on the national scale. They do. I have said that. They are a scary team. They are a scary ass team. You do not want to run into them you know, in the postseason uh, and think that you're, you, you got it in the bag. They are going to push you. But for them to take that next step this season with this sort of roster is what I'm looking for. Now they do have guys like Jack Sawyer and TJ Tumalau, JT Tumalau, excuse me. I think that's his name or Malo or whatever it is. And they, they do uh, return Trayvon Henderson. They've got Mayan Williams in the backfield. They have Mecca Buka. They have uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. These are just, these are names of guys that are going to probably be early round guys. They have monstrous offensive linemen, They do have guys in the secondary that have have some nice pieces back there. They return Tommy Eichenberg at uh, middle linebacker, who I don't know how he's going to translate on Sunday, but he is a very, very solid college player. Um, So, yeah, definitely a roster that can get it done, and it will be very interesting to see where Ohio State goes from here as they have actually taken a small bump up from 80% in 2022 to – uh, 85% here in 2023 as far as blue chip ratio goes. So not a not an insignificant improvement there in their roster. Georgia, next. Now these three teams, they have something in common, right? They all wear red and they recruit at a level that's just simply higher than anybody else. Now Georgia is sitting at 77% for their blue chip ratio. That is holding steady from last year. There has been no change to Georgia's roster from uh, the what they what they were sitting at in 2022 versus this 2023 roster, as we know, Georgia has recruited top three recruiting classes the last three years in a row. Um, they have never had less than a top six recruiting class under the Kirby Smart tenure. He's taken recruiting to an entire new level. And a friend of mine put it best. He said. Depth is defined in Athens. And I cannot, I can't, I couldn't agree more with that statement. That's absolutely true. The dogs return a loaded defense from last year. Guys like Smile Munden, Jamon Dumas Johnson, Malachi Starts, Javon Bullard, Nazir Stackhouse comes back into the mix. Michael Williams is back. Also, Tykey Smith, the former all-American from West Virginia, is coming back for another year. We got Kamari Lassiter coming back. I mean, these guys on defense again, once again the Dogs are going to field one of the stoutest if not the stoutest defensive units in the country. And it's not that they're it's not just that they're stout, they're so multiple and they can do a whole lot of things on that side of the ball. Take the ball away and score, stonewall you, play great red zone defense, create havoc plays and and just really wreck your night. The offensive side of the ball is also extremely loaded, but just like Alabama and Ohio State, the Dogs are breaking in a first-year quarterback in what should be Carson Beck, even though a starter has not been announced. Obviously, he's still going to go at it with Brock Vandegrift for that position, entering fall camp. We'll see what happens with that one, but he does not lack for great offensive line play heading in here into 2023, a complement of skill positions, and maybe the most loaded Georgia wide receiver room we've seen to date. The arguably best football player in the country at the college level in tight end, Brock Bowers. a guy is what the kids would call a cheat code, and I would have to agree. The guy can run the ball. He can catch. He's great at the point of attack for blocking. Six-foot-four, 245-pound frame and runs like the wind. And he he really needs no introduction. He's been blowing up college football the last couple of years. So the dogs are still very much alive, still very much dangerous. And what I find interesting, by the way, about this 77% margin is Georgia is willing to take risks or take a shot, if you will, on a lot of three-star recruits. Uh, in, in comparison, when you especially when you t- look at Alabama or Ohio State, and as we know, Georgia spends more money annually on recruiting by a large margin than any other program in the country. They have one of the most robust scouting staffs in all of college football, and they have hit on a lot of these three stars that I believe were just undervalued by some of these other programs. And just to give you an example, guys like Jordan Davis was that was a three star. Lad McConkey was a three star. DeAndre Baker, another three star uh, that they were able to develop into all SEC caliber, even all American caliber players, even Sunday players, uh, you know, as some of them have gone on to hit the league. So it's very interesting to see the approach of Georgia here and their willingness to go out on a limb when they want to find their guy and build the roster. So very interesting stuff. Texas A&M, the old Aggies. (laughs) So as we know, you know, I am currently employed in College Station as Texas A&M ROTC cadre. Love my job. Really do. Love the program. Love the kids. Texas A&M football slowly growing on me like a fungus. Um, And we are going to see what 2023 has to offer. As far as talent is concerned, from a talent perspective, this is a top four squad in the entire nation in terms of just talent acquisition. Talent has not and never has been the problem with Jimbo Fisher programs going all the way back to Florida State. This guy knows how to recruit. He recruits like a wild man. I don't know exactly how he reels in these guys, but... My question is about the reason or the rhyme and especially the character and culture at Texas A&M and as we formerly saw at Florida State. Remember, you could fill up last chance you with former Seminoles and they did. If you go back and watch that show, they <laughs> there were so many kids that came out of that Tallahassee Jimbo Fisher program, it wasn't even funny. And that's just sort of a mark to me of somebody that looks for stars, looks for talent but doesn't really is sort of the antithesis to maybe what you see at a Georgia and certainly at teams that like maybe a Notre Dame, right? Looking at a Notre Dame or a Michigan, you know, absolutely with just the, the standards and the, the holistic evaluations, right? That they're going to make. Uh, I don't know. I know for a fact they didn't do that at Florida State and I doubt they do that at a and because there was some spring cleaning to do this past year with guys who just were not down with the team aesthetic and not down with the culture, even though they were part of one of, well, at the time, the highest rated recruiting class of all time. Now, a good portion of that recruiting class has exited and found another place to play college football. Uh, And there was a general exodus from Texas A&M this past offseason with a lot of guys going to play ball somewhere else. But they did retain more than I thought as far as that nucleus of that recruiting class. Uh, and there was just simply a lot of guys that knew they were not going to crack the roster with these guys on campus. So we'll have to see what another year of development for this young and extremely talented group here at Texas A&M looks like. And then a revamp with the changing coaching philosophy and offensive coordinator philosophy here at uh, at AM. So we'll see what, what we're going to get out of the Aggies. This is a team that I would put an asterisk next to as far as has the potential to go from zero to hero, sort of the way that Michigan did from the 2022 and four COVID year all the way to making the college football playoff in 2021. I think that they have that kind of rebound factor in them if all the stars align properly. Clemson sitting at seventy-two percent again, a program with improved recruiting, uh, pretty much year after year. In twenty twenty-two, Clemson was sitting at sixty-three percent above the, uh, for their for their uh, blue chip ratio, and it was even lower uh, the year before that, hovering somewhere around sixty percent. So this is a team that has incrementally recruited better and better over the years. We've got Debo Sweeney entering a year where he's finally broken a couple of his uh, principles, if you will, or the things that you didn't think he was going to do at Clemson, bringing in an import in Garrett Riley, brother of Lincoln Riley, who was just running that offense that at TCU that was good enough to win the Big 12 and make it all the way to a college football playoff berth and win a game. Uh, obviously, national championship, we've beaten that horse to death under 10 feet of dirt, uh, but... I digress. I believe that this is a really good move for Clemson, considering the nucleus of talent that they do have. I have questions in their wide receiver group. I don't have a whole lot of questions anywhere else on the roster. I do like this Clemson roster coming back into this year, and I think that they could get back to their winning ways in ACC championship form. I feel a lot better about them than some of the upstart programs that people have been mentioning this offseason. And it's because this has been built over time at Clemson, a lot of time. Like, Clemson is not one of those flash-in-the-pan programs. They have been built brick by brick, game by game, you know, the, the, the good times, the bad times, all of it, over the last several, several years by Dabo. They've recruited and reinforced this roster. I think you're going to see them get back to their ways. LSU with Brian Kelly sitting at 71%, a bump in recruiting for LSU from the year prior, just 66% in 2022. We did see him come in, make some really nice moves, not only in recruiting, also in the transfer portal, which does not reflect, remember, on this. So the team overall, as far as talent acquisition, could be higher than, and is, I believe, higher than what is reflected here. And I'm expecting some very big things out of LSU this next year. In fact, if I was to pick my favorite to win the SEC championship as an SEC champ today, I think LSU's got the goods to do it because I believe that they will run through their schedule and fight those fights and be vetted and be blooded early with those hard tests coming out of the West as opposed to Georgia having to kind of wait and find out till later in the season. And I think we've seen this sort of scenario before where it has been a very competitive, hard-fought struggle in the West with a lot of talented teams. Like, let me just put it out to you this way, right? In the top six, three of the top six most talented teams in the country are in the SEC West, okay? Even Auburn is here on this top 16 at 51% above the blue chip ratio. So again, even Auburn, for their struggles right now, comparatively is one of the most talented teams in the country. As far as teams in the SEC East, you have a beleaguered Florida program sitting at 64% on the blue chip ratio. A lot of that has to do with the fact that by geography – they're going to recruit a lot of highly rated kids. The state of Florida still produces more talent than any other state in the country. That is not an opinion. That's absolutely a fact in just gross numbers. Now you can argue with me about population density and per capita. Okay, fine. You you can win that one. But at the end of the day, in the absolute numbers, Florida still produces all of the dogs. And if you look at championship rosters, they are loaded with sunshine state kids. So, That's my argument with LSU versus Georgia. LSU will have, if they navigate their way to Atlanta for a second consecutive year and are able to weather that storm, they will have defeated one, two, three, four, potentially top rated blue chip ratio teams on the way there, as Georgia would really have only faced off against one at that point in in Florida Gators. And again, a team that this this stuff does not account for coaching culture it does not account for where those talented players are allocated. it just tells you the number of four and five stars you have on your roster. Florida is not set up to be in a position to be successful against teams like Georgia's and Alabama's and the Ohio states and the in the elites of college football they're just not they have a talented roster from a 4 or 5 star perspective but they're not set up in a way to be successful with this. I in my opinion and I think they're going to they're going to kind of struggle here. However, I will say that recently Florida went on an absolute tear last weekend with Billy Napier signing 10 blue chip signees in very quick succession. Something's brewing down there in Gainesville and if they keep that up and he's able to build out his roster the way that he would like to using that model from Louisiana with four- and five-star players, the Gators could get back to their winning ways. But I think it is very much an uphill battle right now because Georgia has a death clutch on that SEC East, and they're not going anywhere. You're going to have to take it from them. They're not going to hand it to you. Texas and Oklahoma both sitting at 70% on the blue chip ratio, deadlock, dead heat. At that position. And I mentioned earlier in some earlier episodes that I felt like Oklahoma is another one of those teams that could go zero to hero from one year to the next because they have the requisite talent. They are entering into a second year under Brent Venables. They return a quarterback situation, have a very good quarterback waiting in the wins, and they have. Lots of talent at all sorts of different positions as Brent Venables has begun to recruit this team in his image. Texas is loaded and set up in a very, very strong position, in my opinion, as they have one of the finest offensive lines in the country, I think, coming into this year. They're going to have some really good trench play on both sides of the ball, actually. A loaded wide receiver room, a quarterback situation that makes you smile with a backup in Arch Manning. We'll see what he's all about. I've been critical about it. I did not think that he would come in and win the job. And from what we're hearing, it's Quinn Ewers' job. The defense was improving incrementally towards the you know home stretch here. I would just be interested to see if Texas gets back to that more run-balanced attack that they leaned on last year, or can Quinn Ewers take a step forward this year with targets like Xavier Worthy and A.D. Mitchell and begin to light up that scoreboard through the air? it would be really interesting to see. Notre Dame, 65% on the blue chip ratio. That is an incremental increase from last year with 62%. We have seen Marcus Freeman go ham in recruiting and pulling – and allocating a talent level to South Bend that we have not seen in recent years. In fact, this team used to be behind Michigan in terms of blue chip ratio. Now they are sitting at 11% better than Michigan, who I've long considered to be their recruiting contemporary. So very impressive stuff from Notre Dame. That's not to include their transfer quarterback situation with Sam Hartman. I've got my eye on Notre Dame. Coming into this year, I think they're going to make some big things happen. I really do. I don't, I don't, I'm I'm not sold on the playoff picture, but I think they're going to hurt some feelings uh, because of how many touch points they have in different conferences and around college football. They're like the common denominator coming into this year in college football. And I think they're going to, I think they're going to spoil some dreams this year. Oregon sitting at 67%. We know they recruit their ass off up there and always have. Uh, It's a team that's, one of your more loaded and talented teams in the pac 12 returning a quarterback situation. It'll be very interesting to see what they do and what I would consider to be a pretty loaded, relatively loaded pac 12 this year, especially from a quarterback perspective, USC at 52%. They rejoin the blue chip ratio, uh, over just one recruiting cycle with Lincoln Riley. And then again, his armada of transfers coming in his transfer army from last year. Um, I wonder if the transfers are counted in the following year and not the initial year when they're snagged. I do wonder about that. I'll have to look that up. I'm not exactly sure, but that to me is about the only way that it kind of makes sense that USC has jumped back into here because of just the amount of talent acquisition they brought in. Obviously, Caleb Williams improved defensive positions. We're going to see whether or not they can play physical football for 60 minutes coming into this next year. But again, another team that I think is legitimately dangerous in the Pac-12 and possibly on the national scale. We also have Miami, Penn State, Michigan, and the aforementioned Auburn in here, like I said, that are above that 50% ratio. So real quick, Penn State, I think, has a legitimate chance to really upset the apple cart in the Big Ten this year. I've talked about that. I've got my eye on the Nittany Lions. Michigan, Michigan looks to return to that college football playoff picture and potentially push for a national championship this year as they have retained a lot of experienced fifth- and sixth-year seniors as a core nucleus of leaders with a young and talented roster. They will again be in the mix and be a tough team to beat. We will see what Ohio State has to say about that, and Penn State for that matter. And then Miami. Want to talk about the Hurricanes because nobody really is. Again, I've alluded to this a little bit on, I think, previous episodes talking in regard to Miami, but again, they joined Texas A&M and they join Oklahoma, in my opinion, as a team that you could see go from zero to hero, sitting at 61% on the blue chip ratio and a very talented squad in Coral Gables. And hey, if you enjoyed today's episode, I appreciate you. Any given time, any given place, any given team, you get it here at any given you.